From Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO, this is What's Next, Producers Picks. Highlights of conversations heard on previous episodes. On today's show... We went out to provide counseling to the area, and when I got there, it was not enough counselors of color, um, and that was very traumatic for that community, as well as for me, because I felt like, you know, you need to be able to express yourself and feel like you're heard. The founders of the mental health practice Walking Through Solutions, LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook. And we close out with... Mistakes are good. And we constantly learn that, like, mistakes are okay, but, like, then and there, I kind of just don't strive for perfection. Put your all into it. You're going to fall down. But through these stumbles, I eventually will meet the goal of having a better pattern. Author and activist Dorian Withrow Jr. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thank you for listening. First, we revisit Jay Moran's conversation with LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook. The two founded the relatively new mental health practice, Walking Through Solutions, and they discussed their approach to care and the growing need to address mental health issues in the community. So you formed Walking Through Solutions, and this has roots, unfortunately, in um, the great tragedy of May 14th, 2022, at the Tops Market. What did you see, LaShawn, that spurred on this effort to start Walking Through Solutions? With that trauma, it it affected a lot of people of color, and we went out to provide counseling to the area, and when I got there, it was not enough counselors of color, and that was very traumatic for that community, as well as for me, because I felt like, you know, you need to be able to express yourself and feel like you're heard, and I think whether you're of color or not, you can hear, but just for the population, they needed to feel like somebody could relate to them there needed to be a comfort level yes and with that I said you know I need to do more wow wow you took it upon yourself so how about the roots for you then Deja yeah similar to what LaShawn said we wanted to create a safe space for people of color the black community was a front of mind because of everything that happened in Buffalo but the minority community as a whole because there are racial issues um, that specifically affect people of color and also it was just important for us to be able to say that and say it boldly, which unfortunately now is a space in the community where we can say we are here for people of color. And but prior to this incident, we didn't really have the the option of saying that and, right. as, you know, to be supported. Uh-huh. <laughs> why, why did you why would, was that the case? I felt like people felt like people of color had a, it was a stigma where they felt like, you know, they didn't really understand mental health. Once this happened. Seeing the situation, they understood the depression they went through, the traumatic event, how it affected their lives, their everyday lives. So they were more open to hear about mental health. And because it happened in our community, they were the, I guess, our surroundings were able to say, you know, they need more counselors of color. It was more acceptable. I, I, I appreciate that. And I, I will look at it as, as a positive development. If you could maybe share to a certain extent, you can be as general as you want, but some of the things maybe that were being expressed in the community after the tragedy, what were you hearing? Um, people were fearful, and they were they were scared, they were fearful, they were depressed. They had anxiety where they couldn't sleep. They didn't know. They were overeating, or some people weren't eating, just because it was right, right in their hometown, so it felt like this can happen again. It, it was targeted directly at people of color. 
So it was a lot of fear. Mm. So you, you, you guys feel you know, you're experiencing this together. But that's one thing to experience together and see what's happening. And that's another to go out and start your own LLC and uh, come up with uh, walking through solutions. Um, just, the, just the ambition to go out and do that. Uh, we, we'll maybe get into your story a little bit more, Deja, later on. Mm -hmm. But just uh, take us through then, you know, actually getting this started, going from, well, this, could, this is a need to we're doing this. Yeah, so this really came from the, the community's outcry for mm. therapists of color. Um, so the process was really, LaShawn really was the, the starter of this and she brought me in. Um, she said, Hey, like, I really want to do this. I want to expand. I feel like, you know, the community is ready for us to create this environment and services that specifically benefit our community, um, being women and people of color ourselves. So we did that, um, as far as, um, some of the work in the beginning, we had our soft launch in July, which was National Minority Mental Health Month. We partnered with a local minority-owned business, which was Princessa's Art Studio on Hurdle. Um, and we wanted to do it there because we wanted to have the conversation about mental health in a way that's not a sterile environment. Mm -hmm. And to get people to, to show up and have a nice, relaxed conversation about, let's be let's be serious. This is this is a, a nationwide problem, but in Buffalo, it's, it's been exacerbated by the incidents. What... Well, um so that that soft launch, it's I, I'm intrigued by that. So you, people obviously showed up mm -hmm. and showed support. What was the the event like? And I, like you said, it sounds like you didn't want it to be too serious, but it's still obviously a very serious serious issue here. Yeah. So we had um, so like I said, it was at Princess's Art Studio, um, which is really nice. She has like all different um, cultural art different you know um she does like painting classes and things like that so some people are familiar with that location in the community um but we had like snacks we had um like non-alcoholic beverages mm -hmm. we did a presentation um we did two presentations just so that people were coming in going they could come and hear what we are offering to the community um and then they can leave and go on about their day because we wanted people to stop by and get to know us and ask us any questions that they wanted to ask. It was a free event. We posted it on social media, um, and we did some ads and that, that sort of thing. Yeah, our goal was to eliminate the stigma, to let them know that mental health is you not taking care of your mind, which causes physical health. So our, we were just the introduction of what our services were. Um, we talked about this before we went on the air, but LaShawn, you've been in the mental health field for um, 20 plus years now, right? Yes. And Deja, you're relatively new to it, but you, like we said, you graduated from a McKinley <laughs> yeah. Junior, so you're off. You, you, you I'm still in my 20s. So. You're still in your 20s, but you've already got a lot of experience behind you. Uh, I want to talk talk about that difference just a little bit. Um, compare and contrast what maybe your different experiences bring to the practice. Okay, I think my experience from the mental health, just dealing with the addiction, the mental health itself has a lot to come to it. But my perspective on it is um, that, you know, people can change, people can learn and just the medication and not medication where mine is more old school, mm -hmm. where when Deja comes in, she's more newer school she's open to trying new things compared to doing the same thing so she's opened my eyes to a lot i try to be innovative in my approach because i think um, my generation millennials are more open to seeking therapy and it's less shame around it 
Um, but I like to have the conversation about shame and vulnerability with people because we some people don't know how to be vulnerable right. and to sustain healthy relationships, whether it's intimate relationships or within your family. You have to be able to embrace vulnerability. And maybe back in like LaShawn's time, vulnerability was seen more as a weakness and you had to be strong. You had to, you know, whether it was poverty, whether it was you had um, substance abuse in your family, domestic violence, that sort of thing. Um, child abuse, because child abuse awareness has been it's normal in my life, but in in her lifetime, it was a relatively new developing yeah, system. Nobody wanted to talk about it, right? Yeah. yeah yes. Yeah. Um, that's interesting that you say about vulnerability. That's something, if you look at uh, at your website, it, it comes up in, in a couple of different uh, pieces as well. You say that you feel that the younger people are a little more open to understanding vulnerability. Yes. Um, at the same time, I would have to think that it can doesn't always make it easy. No. Being vulnerable is uncomfortable by its nature. Oh, tell me about um, it. No. But... Being intentional about being vulnerable can help you um, find more about yourself and have a deeper connection with others around you. So I think that vulnerability is important. And we talked about it in our October couples boot camp that we did um, with couples, because if you're not vulnerable in your intimate relationship, in your marriage, um, you can't. How well do you know that person? Right. And how well do you know yourself? Right. And when the conflict arises, if you can't be vulnerable and say, you hurt my feelings, how long does this conflict conflict linger? And what, what are, it's just damaging your relationship. What steps do you take to try to get people to open up about that concept of vulnerability? So some of the things that we started with was like, I use an emotions wheel, um, which has like a series of like, um, it's like a whole wheel has maybe like 20, 30 emotions because most people when growing up, you're taught that you can be sad, angry, happy. <laughs> like That's it. <laughs> and so like LaShawn, she um, talks about like anger in some of her work. And when people hear that, if, if I say I'm angry, I may mean I'm frustrated. I may mean that I'm feeling insecure. I may be feeling afraid. There are so many levels that um, if you get more comfortable with the spectrum of emotion, then you could be more accurate in how you communicate to to someone else when you're feeling hurt or angry, and then they can know what you're feeling and then respond appropriately. So just to be more clear and more um, more right. accurate. Right. It's interesting though that you you break it down like that because right yeah, I guess the natural emotion like you said is I'm angry, but maybe mm-hmm. I'm uh-huh. feeling insecure, mm-hmm. I'm frustrated with something or anything like that, and you're able to walk people through that to a certain extent. Yes. Yeah. I'm LaShawn, as you as you hear Deja talk about this, again, someone with a little more experience, you know, vulnerability. If someone said that was an issue twenty years ago or that's something that should be explored, I mean, how do you th- A, how how would you have taken it as a professional? But mm-hmm. B, how do you think maybe some of the people you were dealing with would have responded to that concept? Right. And people of my generation still have a problem with being vulnerable. And I know for me, I didn't know how to be vulnerable. So going into the field, I've learned. I knew how to show um, empathy and be supportive, but I didn't know how to let people know that I was hurting. So once I got into the school and I started doing the research and then I started having a family of my own, I wanted to be different. I wanted to be open because I grew up in a dysfunctional family, you know, where 
everything stays in the house. So I had learned, I, I learned different. And even with Deja growing up, it helped me understand because once she finished school, hmm. she was able to come back and <laughs> tell me my flaws. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, one thing I always say, too, is like with generational trauma, we... We try to fix what may have been the most pressing thing in our childhood that we say, oh, maybe I didn't feel like I was hurt by my parents. So maybe you're intentional about making your kids feel hurt. But they may have been 10 other things that was wrong in your family. <laughs> you can't carry that on your back. And that's, right. what, that's, the, that's what makes our business unique because we are a mother-daughter duo. Okay. So we're navigating some of the generational traumas in our own lives, but we're able to see it and have those conversations and facilitate those conversations with families in the community to say like, it's okay. Maybe your parents didn't have it to give you. So how do you want to make it different for the next generation? The concept that, you know, generational, I want to just explore that in, in this sense. Are there certain things, certain mental health issues that aren't just from their parents, but maybe the parents before them, before them, before them, because, you know, there's a legacy, obviously, of course, yes. in the United States mm-hmm. for uh, the realities for black people. Is that something that is comes up as well? Yes. A lot of people want to know, like, which is the major mental health, you know, severest mental health diagnosis, like schizophrenia, bipolar. Those are normally genetics. Like if your grandfather or your great grandfather, as if it's in your family bloodstream it's a possibility that you can get it just like diabetes you know it's something that you can get because it's in your bloodstream all right so but we do see that then being handed down yes Mm. yes Mm. a lot of the people that i've worked with in the past once they come we always do the genogram to find out let me know about your family let me know about your history and it's proven that it it stems from your family how you handle it and how it comes out may be different but the long term is is normally generational. You use the term also, uh, genera- I think generational dysfunction. I think it was uh, to be more specific. Yes. How do you make somebody aware of that? Right. That 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 is what's lingering inside them. Right. That we normally do the assessment. Once you come come out with the assessment and we ask questions, you know, about their childhood, about their parents' childhood, stuff comes out of, well. My grandmother was ill or she heard voices or she had to take medication. And we just go off that track for them to think. So they may never thought about it. But once you do the assessment and you ask the appropriate questions, it comes up and they say, wow, I never looked at it that way that my great grandmother had it. And now I have the same symptoms that they may have had. So you're able to pick up on those cues. Yes. Wow. That's um well, it's got to be quite the process to do that. Yeah, a lot of, but in counseling, a lot of times, once you start talking, you open up, you identify with things you never even thought about in your life. You know, you're like, wow, I never even looked at it that way. To make the connection, some of it is just patterns. So she talks, she's talking about like mental health diagnoses. And my work is some of it is just like communication patterns and different, just how you interact. So you may have to say, oh, well, growing up, my parents, I never seen anyone cry, or if I cried, I got yelled at. And mm-hmm. so now, when you're you're working with the parents and they're doing it to their kids, and you're like, well, why do you why do you yell at them when they're crying? And you're like, well, that's what happened. My parents did it to me, and you know, and goes back and back and back through generations. So some of that is we get to it by having those conversations and just making a connection of mm-hmm. like, oh, you said that you experienced this and you didn't like it, but you're still doing it, you know. You're still doing it. Maybe you're doing it subconsciously. You're not, you know, making a connection on your own. So like LaShawn said, some of it is just 
having allowing people to open up and they're the leader of the experience when they're working with us. So we may say, oh, this is a familiar pattern. And you decide if if you want to change the pattern or if you want to keep going. Let's maybe break it down now. Let's look younger for, for a little bit and you know, get into Because I know you spent uh, time in, in schools and seeing what's going on with young people. What are the young people of Buffalo facing right now that are that's impacting their their mental health? A lot of it now is in my opinion, is the social media. Mm. So everybody has to live up to what other people are putting on social media. So when they can't reach it, and they don't, and they also don't communicate with each other anymore because now everything is text messaging or they don't know how to, I believe they don't know how to build relationships. Like in the past, they built relationships. They had to talk to one another. They had to call on the phone. So now a lot of it is, when they send a text message, what did you mean, you know, as compared to knowing exactly having that conversation because they don't communicate like they used to. So it's creating new communication problems. Correct. More Correct. communications creating more communication problems. Right. Now you hear uh, a generation that's once removed from you here <laughs> talking about social media. What are your, What's your take on that? So I think some of the issue is instant gratification hmm. and the need to be accessible 24-7. You see it with youth, with social media, if someone, or even if text. If someone texts you, you feel like you have to text them right back. You have the read, receives, oh, they they saw, I read it like, two minutes ago. I have to respond right now. Um, we're back in the day, you weren't home when someone called. They got to wait till you get home. Right, <laughs> right, call right, them back. right. Um, and with social media, I think it's this false sense of reality because you shape the narrative when you have a social media platform. And for young people, I think that they think it is reality. And I think even if it's body image, whether it's um, people who show that they have a lot of money, they live a luxurious lifestyle, they travel a lot. And now you look at your life and you're like, hmm, what's wrong with me? Why can't I live like that? And the realist and the thing is, sometimes that person may have took a trip, but you don't know what they're going home to. Mm -hmm. You don't know if they spent their last or not. So I think that it shapes, you know, um, what they think is normal in a way that is kind of. It exposes them to more options as far as making money, become a social mogul, that sort of thing. But, like, the day-to-day, I think it can be damaging, especially for teenagers. Mm-hmm. How do you then maybe take that? Do you see that issue with some of the younger clients? And how do you try to bring that perspective, like you were just saying? How do you try? How do you go about doing that? Because, like you said, everybody's on social media, right? I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not over speaking it there, especially if you're younger, you're on social media. I think in some regards, if you told, if you told a younger person they need to cut back or get rid of social media, they might think like you're, uh, you're cutting off their oxygen to a certain extent. Yeah. For me, I talk about boundaries a lot Hmm. um, because social media can be a beautiful platform if you're a business owner if you have ideas you can learn from other people's sense of community so i think that it can be used valuably but i think having boundaries are important because people don't always realize like social media you post something online and you can see it now in cancel culture you post something online now in 20 years they might bring it up and <laughs> you're like i didn't you know it was a joke or whatever but i think that especially with the abundance of social media platforms and that um, intense need to just be active online. I think that people aren't keeping things private. So whether if you're in a, a dispute with your partner or your friend, the whole community doesn't need to know. You have control over the narrative on social media, and I think that people think that everything is for the public. 
And that's that's scary. Do you talk about ways to, to try to use it? Like you said, it can be, I'll quote you, a beautiful thing. I like the way you said that because we most certainly have seen that. So are there practices that you try to advise younger clients when it comes to this type of thing? Right. We do empowerment groups where we talk to our youth and we have them sit down and write what their future plans are. And so we have them what they're, you know, research that. And who is your role model in social media? Like, who is that? And they look it up. They give us the information. Then we have them compare. Who's your role model in your life? So then they can look and contrast and compare what's real and what's not. Mm-hmm. And we also, and what like the city of Buffalo has a lot of mentoring programs out there for youth. So we encourage them to use that so they're not just constantly on social media. They're interacting with other youth. And we try to bring groups in where they're sitting with their peers and we have to talk. Like, no phones. No phones at all. We're no going to communicate mm-hmm. with each other. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. All right. The mentoring programs. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up about mentoring programs. And there are, there do seem to be a certain amount of them. You advise the young people of Buffalo, especially uh, maybe the kids who come from uh, underprivileged backgrounds? Yes, we do. We encourage it as much as possible. And um, we also, where I work now, we do a leadership program. And we have between 100 to 150 youth that come in, but they get paid, so it's a summer youth job. Okay. And they can't use their phones. But with that, they meet up to 100 new peers, and they do groups on finances. We break them up into groups to figure out what their future plans are, how money work, soft skills. We teach them as much as we can, and then we build relationships within those groups. And you're finding positive results. Yes, a lot of positive results. That was Jay Moran with LaShawn Davis and Deja Middlebrook of the Walking Through Solutions Counseling and Mental Health Practice. And we close today's show with Thomas O'Neill White speaking with author and activist Dorian Withrow Jr. about his books, Conversations You Need and Wisdom 45 Advice. They also talk about navigating hardship with philosophy. Dorian, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I just ran down a list of titles for you, um, but how how would you best describe yourself? Well, I wouldn't say a martial art expert, but um, <laughs> I'm a I'm a baby in the field of you know my martial art taekwondo. Uh-huh. But I, how would I describe myself? I would say, I'd say a genuine person, uh, a person that means well and wants to help others, um, a person that has his flaws but constantly working to improve and things like that. Last time you were with us, um, you've had one book published and you are working on another one. Um, let's talk about this. This In the last year, you've published uh, Conversations You Need. This is your fourth published book, um, a novel. What topics are you exploring in this book? Oh, it's a, it's a self-help book, right? It's a book based on like dialogue. Right. So there are these conversations we have day to day with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did, it was I recalled stories. I recalled conversations from people. And what I did was I tried to make them in a way that will teach somebody some kind of lesson within the book. What what type of lessons are we talking about? Oh, um, so if I were to give one conversation, she doesn't know this, but it's one of the master's instructors I, I work with. Um, she helped me a lot. So one of the conversations we had, it was during our private lesson and I wasn't 
putting enough power into my technique. I was trying to make sure the pattern we do was good. Mm-hmm. And and this I is was, this is through your martial arts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was trying to avoid making mistakes, but she had taught me to let that go, put your all into it. You're going to fall, you're going to stumble, but you're going to improve. And she taught me there that, you know, mistakes are good. And we constantly learn that, like, mistakes are okay, but... um like then and there, I kind of just, you know, don't strive for perfection. Put your all into it. You're going to fall down. But through these stumbles, I eventually will meet the goal of having a better pattern, more power to it, things like that. Do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Um, I mean, I think for me personally, yes. And having those stumbles is like a huge like block to me that I can't overcome like that that sense of failure mm-hmm. is, is a lot do you do you feel the same way yeah I, I um I try to be the best that I can be in whatever I'm doing yeah I'm always trying to improve but I also realize that I'm a human being you know there's there's gonna be faults that we all have mm-hmm. and you know eventually we gotta realize that you know we're not gonna have it all down all the time and you know it's essential that we remember that we're in a continuous process of growth and the more mistakes that we make we're better off avoiding those later on you know mhm mhm so you you uh you're a philosophy guy you are in this in this book you incorporate philosophical lessons for personal growth um you said you you knew nothing about philosophy until you reached college um, what was it that made you embrace philosophy? Uh, for one, I think it was the, for me, it's the class structure. I liked that I could have dialogue with other students within my class to talk about um, a variety of things to come to a kind of solution or maybe some answer that, you know, or maybe no answer. Maybe no answer you know, at all. Right. But it's working through things and um, kind of disputing a bit and coming up with some new perspectives and outlooks that's one aspect i like of it the other aspect is the readings and um just the essential information i came across i felt had helped me and it resonated with me because it um it tackled some of the challenges we would face in life generally that's the way i kind of see why i gravitated towards that and you picked this up in college yeah who is one of your favorite philosophers i would say uh, confucius Confucius, um, but I have a few. I I would say he's like top tier, but for me, um, I would say his outlook on the importance of family, um, some other general ideas, actions meeting words, and how often we have trouble with that. Right, we could always be better in that department. Um, putting good people around people that aren't struggling morally in life or uh, in any other aspect. How can we improve people? And I think philosophy has some of those answers that we haven't necessarily, we overlook sometimes and we don't necessarily like implement. Yeah. Speaking of implementation, is there anything from Confucius that you've learned that you have been able to input into your life or help others? I think a good one I'd like to uh, kind of put out there, and especially nowadays, I think is a uh, one of Aristotle's ideas about um, relationships. 
Mm-hmm. So we have relationships for use, like using others to get what we want to advance and whatnot. Right. Um, we'd have relationships for other means, but I think one of the important parts that he touches upon is um, loving someone or liking someone for the sake of themselves. Like um, genuinely engaging the person because of who they are and not what they have or what they can do for you is um is something I like to press upon. And I I put that in um one of my other books, like Wisdom Forty Five Advice, when I talked about friendships, what kind of friendships are meaningful and what what kind of friendships do you want? Like and why do mm-hmm. you want it? Well what what type of friendships are meaningful to you? Oh, the ones that I can I you know, it's the people that I can go to for advice, the people that, you know, are the ones that I can be genuine around, authentic. When I'm around, is there some kind of conversation about growth in some way, financially or um, work-wise or business-wise? Is it something that I can improve upon? I mean, even you, you know, you you know, you help me with these interviews. So, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm those just are here the to types of brother. Yeah, the types of friends I want around, and those people that are genuine, they like you for who you are, not what they can do for you or what or use value is right right i appreciate that dorian um so getting to your your book you could you called it wisdom 45 advice there's really no working title as yet and you're you're finishing up on it um but this this book is is about comparing animal thought processes with human relationships do i have that right oh i'll say so wisdom 45 advice it's a book already out okay and um I'm working on this next one. It's uh so I learned ABEC in college, animal behavior, ecology and conservation. Yes. And uh what I what I'm doing is I'm using the concepts I've learned from animal behavior primarily and a little bit of biology to relate it for human relationships. And like um using those concepts and taking from those and applying it to ways we can improve human relationships like evolution for example um descent with modification but how can we relate it to people as time goes on i think at a certain type of evolution that's not biology but as time goes on we want to improve ourselves for our partners improve the way we see things um constantly learning and evolving so that we can you know make adjustments and change what might be, you know, wrong with us or what we others perceive wrong and um you know, constantly you know, just essentially seek a way to be better with having a connection with somebody else. Did you have this idea about ABAC when you were younger? I mean, when did it when did you get drawn into this realm of study? Um so I, I was interested in when I was a teenager, right? So I was interested in uh, veterinary science. I went to animal science at BOCES. It was a program, like, so it was a two-year program in high school. I learned about um, the medical side of dealing with animals. I was coming up to time for putting in college applications. My teacher at the time, she had addressed to me that this program is at Kanisha's. You're interested in behavior. I think you should try and apply I did. She was one of my references. I got in, um, had the best package. So I was like, you know, why not? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> I I went with it from there. And um, that's where I kind of 
got engaged with Abec. I wouldn't have known about it if it wasn't for her to put it in my ear to go with it. So, and I'm grateful I did. Do you have a do you have a spirit animal? I think I did like something a while ago, like I think a condor. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what that means. Or, <laughs> I'm not even sure that's correct, but I, you know, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have a spirit animal. Um, talk to me about your growth as a writer and then um a little bit about understanding the business of authorship. Yeah. Um I would say as a writer I had to well, I'll tell you the good aspects first. So I think my diversity in like writing styles in the books is something unique for me. I I, I did poetry, like short stories, mm-hmm. different types of poetry like free verse, spoken word and haiku. Um, right, that's something we touched on in uh, yeah. in our first interview. Yeah. I did a uh, essay based, and in the most recent book, Conversations You Need, I had dialogue based books. So dialogue based book, I had a uh, quotes intertwined between like the each conversation, and to give people a different feel for reading, I made it for people that may not necessarily read a lot. The people that need this kind of um, self growth and self help advice. And I gave different ways to digest that self-help and self-growth through these three books. Um, and I hope people that I've received some feedback, people like it. And I want to make sure that I'm giving people what they need out of these things in an adjustable way. And then the, uh, understanding the business of authorship. You were, we were talking a little bit about that earlier. Yeah. Just n- navigating the business world. Yeah, it's um, it's a very big learning curve. I I didn't know what I was doing, kind of starting off. It was kind of just a book, but I'm working on um marketing more, um things like building an emailing list and, uh you know, kind of engaging the audience in a very different way. A little bit of self disclosure. I'm, I I can be shy on like social media. I suppose like I, I'm not right. very, not too much of myself. Mm-hmm in the you know online presence but more of like you know behind this wall of like uh, promotion and you know videos to uh drag people in and things like that so i want to work on you know being more present i'd say and what's what was um the advice you got from your mother oh essentially that like yeah you know kind of letting myself putting myself more more myself into the media space as opposed to keeping it like a too professional. Right. I think letting, letting a more of me there as opposed to this, uh, shiny outside, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that comes with a certain amount of comfort. You have to reach a certain yeah. level to, to do that. Yeah. How do you work through that? Um, I would say just kind of go for it. And vulnerability is something that you constantly have to work at. It's not easy. Right. But it's simple because it's just doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um being plain with your speech, being frank and also being considerate of yourself, but yet like just exposing and being okay with it. Being okay with what might come back and being okay with knowing that that's out there for people to see. Do you ever get writer's block? And and if so, how do you work through that? Uh, I do. Um, 
But when you're constantly thinking all the time, it's it's a to get out of writer's block. I would say is you know seek inspiration, but also have the mind to pick up things that others wouldn't as you're moving through your day. Um, how can for me my lane is self help and personal growth. Can I look at something and make that into a lesson, a story, something like that? And and once again, uh, give me the titles of of the books you've published. Please give give them all to me, please. Okay. Thoughts of Creativity King, one hundred and fourteen realities, wisdom forty five advice, conversations you need, and I had a co author my very first book, which was um, Speak Young Brown People Speak. We are listening, and uh, money bought from that book goes to a proceed in um, a youth program, and uh, yeah, you should check those out. Is is wisdom forty five advice? Is that forty five? Okay. What's what's the number? So it, it's simple. It's just uh, forty five different topics with my thoughts, life lessons, and philosophy placed into it to help people. For example, vulnerability. It talks about friendship, um, becoming a good man, what that entails, what goes into that. Um, I also talk about the power of a fr- <laughs> reflection. Uh huh. Um, so there's these different topics that I see fit or important to have for people to have so that they can meet their goals, overcome their troubles. These are things that I found have worked for me and I want to provide that for others. What do you think, uh, goes into being a man? I know that's changed over history and sometimes I guess these days there are, you know, there's the new man and then there's the old way of thinking of how men should be. But I guess it, it comes and goes with who you talk to. What's, what's your, what's your idea? I don't really want the, like a definition, but what's yeah. your idea of a man? Um, how about I address some things from the book and yeah, absolutely. What, what Please do. Is. I think, um, so having a role model, someone that does what they say they'll do, they're in a good standing in life. They're morally, ethically accountable. Um, this person looks out. They're very good to you. And other aspects, exploring yourself, um, constantly learning, and, you know, they're having that self-development. In a nutshell, that's kind of what I can put out without going too far into uh dorian you're 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 a pretty accomplished martial artist although you're being pretty humble about it right now um you are a first degree black belt do i have that right yes sir, yes, sir. Uh, when did you discover martial arts and and in what discipline are you in oh I, for me i discovered it uh i, I don't need to say discovered i would say like you know through movies and tv um it started with my grandfather so he was the one to teach me uh, Ishanru karate, and we he'd take us to the waterfront and we practice. Me and my brother, we learned the basics. Um, he wasn't always readily available over mm-hmm. time. It's granted, but I eventually went on my own to seek out a place. I found ITF Taekwondo, and kind of stuck with it ever since. What has martial arts taught you? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, we talked about mistakes earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, of a communication aspect too, like not being so critical 
ourselves. I think we can fall into that sometimes when we're trying to perform and be perfectionists like we were talking about earlier. Um, but I think what it taught me essentially with communication in regards to helping somebody else give positive and negative, but give twice as much positive so that people understand that they have made mistakes, but they're also doing good and it'll help them build the confidence and self-esteem to, you know, continue performing and striving to do better. What type of, well, what martial arts movies um, are your favorites to watch? And is there a, a certain martial artist that you're like, anytime you see them on TV, it's like, oh, I got to watch this. I don't have a particular martial artist. I've, I've watched, uh, I wouldn't say they're very popular, but Raid and Raid 2. They're very violent and gory movies, but <laughs> they, um, I'd, I'd say I like them because they show a lot of the cool, flashy stuff that we see. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily what um, self-defense is right. in the martial art aspect, but... I couldn't say there's like a particular martial artist. It was more of like I just saw this awesome stuff as a kid, and it kind of drew me in. And as I got older, so I think that also speaks to exposure when we talk about kids. Um, yeah, to expose them to is very important for what will kind of guide their decisions or thought process later in life. Do you do you find yourself mixing philosophy with your martial arts? Oh yeah. So um, don't want to keep you know, booking it up. But, you know, I also talk about Please do. the uh, <laughs> core principles or um, actually this upcoming book, I'm I'm kind of working on that part. Like, what are these? We have five tenets of Taekwondo, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, indomitable spirit, indomitable spirit. How can we incorporate those things into our life, act them out every day through our interactions and things like that. So in that way, we have philosophy within art to also manage us and become good people of with good conduct while we're in society. And you and you said you are a teacher. Uh, yeah. you oh, teach martial arts. Yeah. Um what what would be something you would tell someone who was thinking about um jumping in the game, starting starting up in the martial arts realm? Uh, just sort of like vulnerability. It's simple. Just do it. Um, it's not necessarily easy in the beginning. You're going to have your, I mean, you're going to fall. You're going to stumble a bit. You're going to be trying some new things you think you might not be able to do. And I think one of the other um, very important aspects of martial arts is that, like, you're you're going to see yourself doing things that you didn't think you could do. Right? Um, like, um, not that I would do this for self-defense, but we would talk about uh, jump spinning, back kicks, hook kicks. I didn't know if I'd be able to do that. I see it in the movies, but I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I event, I, I'm proficient in it, I would say. Like, I'm very good at it. Uh-huh. So it's also exploring yourself and knowing what you're capable of and seeing what you're able to do. Um, if you're young, why you're able to do it. If you're older, may not be able to do it, but you're able to do some other things that um, martial arts would accommodate for and help you, you know, along your own journey, like losing weight, um, having that space to focus and get rid of the world around you and um, you know, things like that and that'll do it for producers picks we would like to thank our guests Deja Middlebrook LaShawn Davis and Dorian Withrow Jr if you missed anything or you'd like to hear it again you can get this program as a podcast wherever you get your podcast or on the Amplify BTPM app 
Each episode is also online at WBFO.org. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening.